In my first full-time management position, I was told that part of my evaluation would center on how the team performed after I moved on to a new role in the company. At the time, I just assumed that's how every organization evaluated leaders. I know better now, of course, and virtually every leader can do a better job of building talent that will do great work long after you've moved on. Today, David Marquet returns to the show to challenge us to develop the leaders of tomorrow today. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 405. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. I know that many of us think about our leadership today, tomorrow, maybe next quarter, but we don't necessarily think and have top of mind how our leadership is going to be influential to people after we leave our position, or maybe even after we leave the organization. Today's guest is going to challenge us to be thinking about how we build talent today so that the folks that we have the privilege to influence are developing their own leadership for sustainability for the entire organization. I am glad to welcome back to the show today, David Marquet. David is a retired United States Navy captain and former commander of the USS Santa Fe, a nuclear-powered attack submarine. At the time David took command, the Santa Fe was one of the worst-performing ships in the Navy. Under David's command, the ship had an impressive turnaround, achieving the highest retention and operational standards in the Navy. His leadership attracted the attention of Stephen Covey, author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, who rode on the Santa Fe during David's command and later highlighted David's work in his book, The Eighth Habit. Simon Sinek says David is the kind of leader who comes around only once a generation. David is the author of the bestseller, Turn the Ship Around, a true story of turning followers into leaders, a book that USA Today called one of the 10 best business books of all time. David, to say you have a following amongst our audience would be an understatement. I hear your name weekly <laughs> since we had you on the show a few years ago. Glad to have you back. Yeah, thank you. And good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Well, I am so thrilled to uh, talk to you again. And I've been thinking about how, as leaders, we we do think about the here and now, as we should, and we think about you know next week, next quarter, but we don't necessarily think about what happens after we leave. And one of the things you write in the book is, in the Navy system, is, is this is a quote from you, in the Navy system, captains are graded on how well their ships perform up to the day they depart, not a day longer. After that, it becomes someone else's problem. If they did anything yeah. for the long run, it was because of an enlightened sense of duty not because there was anything in the system that rewarded them for it. And I read that and I thought, that's almost every organization, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And actually, the worst it does after you leave is sometimes taken as a sign of how good you were. Because yeah. You there. Yeah. So uh, this has been a troubling thing for me. And I think we have a couple words in the English language that get muddled up. We have achievement and accomplishment. And I think if you're there, you're, you're in charge of a team, you're, quote, leading a team, and things are happening, you're making things happen, you're making good decisions. I think 
those we would label, we ought to label achievement and accomplishment. That's the word for that. Leadership, however, means that you're building that capacity in your people. So in other words, accomplishment is the production that you're doing. Leadership is the ability, building that production capacity in your team. So it means not making decisions, building a team that needs, can make decisions without you. It means building a team that will thrive after you leave and, or, and or after they leave the organization. And that, that we need to re reserve the word leadership for that special kind of activity. You are so masterful in your language. I don't know if you did training on linguistics ever, but just how you think about language and how you think about distinctions and the language you used on the Santa Fe to make distinctions is really pretty remarkable. And one of the distinctions you make is the difference between the leader-follower model and the leader-leader model. Tell me about that distinction. Yeah. So first of all, language is a very natural thing to focus on when you're a submarine commander because... Everything happens through language. We don't send a text to launch a torpedo. It happens with voice command. <laughs> and so imagine you're in a room with a bunch of people and you say, like, don't shoot. But the person on the other hand, on the other side, the receiving side only hears shoot. And they launch a weapon and people die. So we spend a lot of time thinking about the language. We would never phrase it that way because that way is it's a fragile way of phrasing the order. We would say something positive like hands off or stop, which would be harder to misinterpret. So anyway, so, so we kind of grow into this naturally with this idea like we, we pay attention to every single word and the words are so powerful. And one day, so I was, do, I was doing this thing on the submarine where I was trying to give control and, and get my people to make decisions and step up and all that kind of normal stuff. And I was like, why is this so hard? And it was hard for me because my instincts were always to go back the other way. And it was hard for my team. And I was like, what is in the way? And it hit me that this duality, we basically build two classes. We have leaders and followers, thinkers and doers, white collar, blue collar. And in and, and business, I see it all the time. Oh, this is the salaried up group. This is, these are the hourly workers. Yeah. These are the people who wear white hard hats on the construction site. These people wear blue hard. These people wear lab coats. These people wear overalls. And, and we have subtle and not subtle language, uniform, positional clues. These people have thick carpet. These people have linoleum. <laughs> but there's clues to what group you're in. And it's so pervasive, we don't even question it, but it's so pernicious. And then when we, we know this from school, like if you start labeling a group, you just split the class randomly in half and you just say, this is the smart half, this is the not smart half. The kids just start acting that way. And so what we've done is we've systematically labeled people as followers. Now followers, has, there's a special way to interpret follower, which I think is okay, but the, the way we normally interpret it is you follow some, you follow the leader, you follow the person. This is the problem. And I was like, well, that is the problem. We assume the whole management structure assumes people need to be managed. What if that assumption is just wrong? What if people actually don't need to be told what to do? Think about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. And you thought about this a long time, even before you took command of the Santa Fe. And uh, you talk in the book about how you tried this on the Will Rogers as an officer, and 
ran into a whole bunch of obstacles. Tell me about that experience. What didn't work? That was terrible. I, I the chapter is called pain. And, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. My job was I was an engineer, so I was responsible for the operation of the nuclear power plant and providing propulsion and electricity to the submarine and maintaining the plant, making sure no radioactivity escaped to the environment and and all that kind of stuff. And it's a very demanding job because the, you're also a warfighter for the submarine, so you're wearing two hats. I had taken over from a guy who was very command and control micromanager. And it, it, it happens because you get beat up for mistakes, and then you, and your reaction is, well, I got to be more controlling about what everyone does. I need people to get, you know, they need to bring me all these forms. You, all day long, you're reviewing and approving plans. And I didn't understand the whole ecosystem of empowerment. I thought empowerment was a program where you give people control. And that's part of the program. But if it's not underpinned with fundamental technical competence, knowing their jobs, and, and then clarity, which as you mentioned, Simon, and he was very gracious to make that comment. But Simon's thing about why, start with why, is so powerful because without understanding the purpose of the organization, I can't let you make any decisions because you don't know your decisions are going to be random or they're going to be motivated by some departmental view. So understanding the purpose of the organization is the key to unlocking empowerment along with technical skill. So if you just try to empower people, which is what I did, without those two underlying pillars, you get a big mess. And that's what I ended up with. I thought I was going to get fired. I got so close to being fired. I was so bad. We had so many problems. Wow. <laughs> it was like the worst. And fortunately, I muddled through, but it was very tough. So being rooted in solid technical knowledge is a key fundamental. You can't empower people without it. Mm. You learned to do that more effectively. And when you stepped onto the Santa Fe and went through the process of doing this, you started to really put in some practices to not just help in the moment, but long-term really change the culture of a submarine that was having a difficult time. One of the things you say in the book is, no matter what we were doing, we would figure out how to extract the maximum learning from that event. Our philosophy was that we just didn't have time to add a bunch of lectures, but that the submarine gave us hundreds of opportunities a day to learn. Once we started looking for those learning opportunities, we found them everywhere. And uh, that really struck me because I was thinking, you know, oftentimes we're looking for a curriculum or a program, right? And we miss what's right in front of us. How did you utilize the submarine in that way? Oh, so we had so much fun. So for example, there's technical specifications on the submarine. So for example, if you turn off the oxygen, the, the way the oxygen works is you're bleeding it into the atmosphere and then people are consuming it. So it's sort of like you're filling the tub at one end and draining it at the other and you keep them balanced. Well, sometimes if, if there's a problem, maybe you don't get oxygen anymore. And there's, you know, the book tells you theoretically how long you would last and how fast oxygen would deplete. And we would, we would be like, well, let's see if it's really true. We would stop and we would turn, turn the bleed off it's, it's ours, so you have plenty of time. And then we would take data. So let's watch it and see what's happening. Okay, now let's half the crew go to bed. How does that change? What's, and so we, would, we had the actual data from our ship. 
not theoretical knowledge. And so when it came to fighting the submarine, and it came to operating the submarine in extreme ways with various pieces of equipment broken and that kind of thing, the crew of the Santa Fe just knew more because they'd seen it. They'd done it, not read it in a book. And it was really powerful. And then we, and then it was, and it was fun too. And we just said, okay, well, we're going to run a submarine anyway. we got to be here anyway, so let's do some stuff. And other things like we turn hard to the left and we turn hard to the right. And, the, and, the, and again, there's curves that say, okay, if you put the – if you turn the steering wheel this far, you can turn in 250 yards or 350 yards. Well, it turns out if you turn to the right, you actually turn tighter than to turn to the left, even though if you put the rudder over 15 degrees one way and 15 degrees the other. Like, well, why is that? And, and it turns out it has to do with the way this, the propeller is rotating in a certain direction and, the, and this complex hydrodynamics. But these are the kind of things that we uncovered. And it really just made everyone so much smarter. And then there was this eagerness for this, this curiosity kind of got in our bones, this learning. And we actually changed the name of our training program because every, every ship has a, quote, training program. But here's the problem. Training happens to you. You are trained. We train you. And we cha change it to a learning program because that, now the action resides in you. You learn. You show up to learn. But we, we, we had so much. It's just fun. I'm glad you reminded me of that. I just, I'm smiling as I'm remembering all the crazy it, stuff that we did. It's making me smile just listening to you talk about it. And the word yeah. that comes up for me is agency. You give people agency about what they're learning and involvement in it. And uh, I'm thinking back to one of the other key examples you make in the book about just the firefighting response on the ship and how there's a Navy procedure for that that's well-documented yeah. and it makes sense in practice on the procedure. But one of the things you discovered as you, as the crew started to do it is, you know, it doesn't necessarily make sense in this particular situation. And you actually found a better way to get people to respond faster, yeah. even through the exercises, right? Yeah. So thanks, Dave. This is super fun. So the way you fight a fire is it's controlled, keyword, controlled by a place called Damage Control Central, DCC, Damage Control Central. And Damage Control Central would receive reports like, there's fire from a certain switchboard, and then they would issue orders. Hose team one, take the engine room hose and proceed to some location. And this is the standard way of running fires. So I was down, uh, we were going to run a fire drill, and I was standing in the middle of the ship, and the fire was in, in the front of the ship. And people were running back and forth past the fire, basically. All they needed to do, when the fire starts, it's very small. What you want to do is just take a portable extinguisher, like a CO2, and just, it's out. De-energize the equipment, the fire's out. But people were running to their stations because the procedure says so-and-so is going to man this hose. And so what, what became paramount was not putting the fire out, but following the procedure. It was crazy, but I see it all the time because no one gets fired by, for following the procedure. And, and so he said, okay, guys, look, we're going to, DC Central is no longer going to issue commands. They're going to provide information. So, so we changed them. They said, a hose is needed. A thermal imager is needed. A stretcher bearer is needed. That's the way we changed the language. And then we had, we trained the team. The whole crew was trained on all the different pieces of equipment. And then the nearest people would just say, we're going. And then they would report. And so it, it allowed the team to have more initiative. And the people closest to the situation then attacked it not waiting for the previously appointed hose team, which was maybe 100 feet away. 
So as a result, the fire just was attacked immediately by the crew and we won awards for how good we were at fighting fires, but it happened because we stopped telling them what to do. That was the amazing thing. No one could understand it. Yeah. <laughs> how does this work? I, we don't understand how this works. Well, and it comes back to what you said earlier from your learning on the Will Rogers is that you identified the why, like what's the purpose of what we're trying to do, right? Put out the fire, not follow the procedure. And then secondly, the piece that I don't want people to miss is you trained everyone on the equipment and the technical competencies so that they knew actually how to use it in the situation when they needed to achieve that purpose. Right. Because if you say, I want the closest person to the fire to take an action and it may require a bunch of different kinds of pieces of equipment, they need to be trained on all that as opposed to the old way, which was We'll have designated people for this kind of equipment, designated people for that kind of equipment. So there's a burden. There's a training burden. One of the other key distinctions that you made in your work on the Santa Fe was briefings versus certifications. (laughs) Tell me about that distinction. Yeah. And actually, this connects to some recent research that we've been doing. Think about your team's about to do something. Maybe it's a medical procedure. Maybe it's taking an airplane, flying cross country. Maybe it's engaging with a client. Maybe it's uh, uh, maybe it's a construction site, and you're about to you know pour concrete or something. But what what we would do is we would get together and we'd have what we called a, a briefing, which was the person in charge would tell everyone, "Here's what we're going to do. Here's what to expect. Here's what I need you to do." Now the interesting thing to do is imagine counting the words that each person says, and, and picture sort of a, a histogram of who, who said how many words. And in a briefing, it would be highly biased toward the person in charge. And most everyone else doesn't say anything. Any questions? No. We're good? Yeah. Let's go. So that's actually not the best way to get resilience out of a team. So what we did was we called it a certification where the person in charge would say, I'm here to decide whether or not we're ready to do this thing. John, what are you going to do? Sally, what's your job? Where are your eyes going to be at this point? What are the key things that you're going to be looking for? What decisions might you have to make? How might this go wrong? Then reflect upon the team's answers and say, okay, I think we're ready. I certify the team and let's go uh, load the torpedo or whatever. Now, it involves a lot more thinking and participation from the group simply by the way it's run. And if you counted the words, it would be a much more even distribution. But think about what needs to happen for that. First of all, we need to let people know ahead of time what, that we're going to load a torpedo and what position they're going to have. But once you do that, they are out there owning their responsibility for performing their job correctly briefings absolve people of the responsibility. I'm going to show up. They're going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do it. There's no pre-study. There's no pre-thinking. There's no ownership. Then there's no engagement. It's the structure of how we run these things, which results in no engagement. And then we blame the workers and we say, oh, you guys don't seem too engaged. I say, yeah, because you snuffed it out of me. Yeah. It's so passive instead of being active. And by having people articulate in advance, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I intend to do is you use the language so much on the ship. Yeah. You can check in advance of, oh, they really know what they're doing or they don't. We need to take a step back before right. we're about to do this and make sure that people who are doing the work actually know what they're intending to do. 
Yeah. So we work with a bunch of healthcare organizations. And the question is, have you ever canceled a procedure? Have you ever not done one on time? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, why? Well, because the other previous one was running late or there's a bunch of reasons. Have you ever not done one just because you felt the team wasn't ready? Oh, no, no, no. You know, we're blah, blah, blah. We're always ready. So in that situation, there's no decision that we're ready. It's simply it's 10 o'clock time for the next operation. We're not making decisions if there's never a no. There has to be occasional we're not ready. Otherwise, you're never making a decision. And if your team is never coming up to you, and occasionally, I mean, not all the time, obviously, but occasionally say, you know what, I don't think we're ready for this meeting. We got to push it off. Or we're not ready to start this nuclear reactor. We need to study a little bit more or whatever it is. If that never happens and you you don't have the courage to say we're not ready, we call it controlling the clock. You got to control the clock. Leaders control the clock. Bosses obey the clock. Leaders control the clock. Nice. And it takes courage to control the clock. My wife is a professor, and one of the things that she does regularly, um, I don't know where this emerged from, but a, a term called retrieval practice. And mm. it's, it's just what you practiced in certifications, rather than walking in and lecturing to students or doing a prep for an exam and kind of just talking through the key material she'll come in and do exercises of asking them questions and doing exercise throughout the semester to have them retrieve what they've learned or haven't learned all the way along the way. And it's just, it's turning the model around of rather than I'm the person who's all knowing and I'm going to feed you information. It's how can I be the catalyst for helping you to take agency over what you, you've you learned. And if you do that, it really it makes a big difference. And then people become leaders, right? They're taking ownership over it. They're, that's what engagement really is. Yeah. Normally, we walk in and say, okay, my job is to teach you all this stuff. I mean, how amazing would it be to say, hey, here's the stuff that you guys are supposed to learn. How can I help you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so much of this is uh, when you think about certifications and learning as you're doing and going through that that process. I mean, so much about, about this is developing agency for people, developing leaders so that when you move on in whatever role you're in, that people have that ability to lead and also then develop future leaders themselves. And one of the things that came up for me in a big way around this was how you interacted with the other officers on the boat. And you write toward the end of the book, I decided that one key supervisor a day rotating among the senior officers would have an hour-long mentoring session with me. The rule for the mentoring session was that we could talk only about long-term issues and primarily people issues. All business concerning a leaking valve or failed circuit card had to occur outside these meetings. Yeah. During the first set of discussions, we adapted a useful technique for long-term focus and planning. I asked each of them to write their end-of-tour awards. Since these supervisors are assigned to the submarine for three years, this particular exercise made them look that far into the future. So you had them basically write out their their you know final report, for lack of a better term, if I'm phrasing that right, for three years out and set the vision. Yeah, that was super helpful. And maybe this is a specific Navy thing. But what happened was they would write things like, so, so let's say the weapons officer, and he's responsible for handling torpedoes. And he would say, well, we, I want to get really good at handling 
at weapons handling and weapons readiness. I said, well, how would you know? And he kind of scratched his head and we would then come up with some metrics. I said, okay, great. Start measuring those now. In the Navy, all the officers get an annual report. We call it a fitness report, fitness for duty. It's an annual evaluation. And then at the end, you, t- you get a citation or sort of a sum up thing, but these annual reports. And so the difference was the guys in the Santa Fe who could write annual reports that said improved weapons handling as measured in the following way. And they would list specifically what happened. Now, the other problem with the reporting system is you rank people against each other. So the three key department heads, weapons, operations, and engineering, someone's going to be one of three, two of three, and three of three. And since there's only three department heads, but there's one captain, typically only one of those guys, the one of three, is going to get promoted and become the captain. But I think one of the reasons is that we got all of our department heads, even the guy who was three of three, got promoted and became submarine captain, is because we were able to write their evaluation in such a cogent way that it wasn't just a bunch of fluff. It prove what the officer had contributed. And I was very blunt. I would say like, look, this person's, his person is amazing, should be a commanding officer. The only reason he's three or three is because the system forces me to do it. I mean, I was kind of, I had like, that, that's how transparent I was in writing because these things, things get, then get reviewed by boards who make these decisions. And uh, so this is why it's really, really hard to get all your guys promoted, which we essentially did on the Santa Fe. Part of it was that they were really good and they should have been promoted. Part of it was they were thinking like submarine captains. And part of it was the aura of the submarines kind of lifted all boats. But part of it definitely had to do with the fact that I was able to write these evaluations in a very specific and realistic way. Yeah. So there's a combination there I'm hearing of you're thinking out the three years in advance of where does this person want to be? Not only kind of the big picture stuff, but also like from a data standpoint, from a measurement standpoint on the, on the key, you know, the key performance indicators. And then you're backing into that by saying, okay, you know, where are you today? Let's start capturing some data. And yeah. so you've got a process for them of, as you're having these regular meetings over time, you can come back to that larger plan and say, okay, here we are on that. How did that work at the six month point where you'd have that conversation? And someone really hadn't moved or made progress toward that longer three-year vision. How did you handle that? And what did you do to help them to move forward? Yeah, that was, you know, that's on them. The great thing about the whole thing is they owned it. Most people say, well, how do we keep hold people accountable? What do you mean? Well, I tell them what to do. And then when they don't do it, I'm going to hold them accountable for doing, not doing something that they didn't want to do in the first place. So I said, well, that doesn't really make much sense. This whole idea of holding people accountable actually just evaporates. It's only because we're in this telling people what to do mode that we even have the word accountability. Nature will hold you accountable. I use the word, you'll suffer the consequences of your behavior if you couple the behavior with the outcome. Yeah, because it's their plan, it's their vision. So what I'm hearing you say is you don't have to worry about holding them accountable to it because they're the ones that wrote it and they wanted to achieve it. And you're there then as leader, as coach, helping them to get to where they want to go. The big question that loomed for me, I'm thinking about your work, thinking about the book, watching you you know, go around the world and speak, is I'm really struck at how brave you were in doing this on <laughs> the Santa Fe. 
I mean, you really kind of push the edges <laughs> of what you are, quote unquote, supposed to do as a Navy captain in a good way. And people will, will see that when they read the book. But I guess the, the, the thing that I'm wondering is like, why did you do that and others didn't? Here's the crucible story. I was trained for another ship. I knew every single detail, every single switch, every single everything. Now, if you're in that situation and you give a bad order, you're like, oh, that was the one thing out of a million that I didn't know. I'm just going to give better orders. I'm going to learn my craft better. I'm going to give better orders. And then I, then I said, oh, no, 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 you can't go there. We're going we're gonna to send you to Santa Fe, two weeks notice. Different kind of submarine. And now there's one out of a million things that I know, 999,000 that I don't. And I gave an order because that's the pattern and it was wrong and it came to light and nothing happened. But I was reflecting on that and I, and, and I said, you know, if I keep giving orders, the problem is not that I gave a bad order. The problem is that I'm the one giving orders and that mind shift happened because I was in unfamiliar territory. And I just knew if I kept giving orders, the crew was going to keep following them. And eventually we would kill the wrong people, maybe ourselves. And that, that happened on other submarines where mistakes happen. And ultimately, it all the root cause is always the person in charge is giving orders and the rest of the people are following. Costa Concordia. You go through a bunch of industrial accidents. It's the exact same model. Yeah. Person in charge telling people, what, why didn't they speak up? Because the structure is designed to have them comply, not speak up. That's the overwhelming structural uh, criteria, design criteria. Then we put an asterisk and say, oh, yeah, and speak up if you don't think things are right. And we say safety first, but it's really hierarchy first because we're social animals. And that's what happens. We've talked a lot about language in this conversation. You've got a new book coming out February 2020, and you've already, thank you, made the commitment to come back on the show and tell us about the new book. But I'm wondering if you could give us a preview because the title is Leadership is Language. What's going to be yeah. in the new book? Super excited about this. It's been a labor of love. But the construct is we fundamentally engage in two different things throughout our lives, throughout our day, which is thinking and doing, reflection and action. We actually need two different languages. When we're in production mode, doing action mode, we're focused, we're getting stuff done. And there's a certain language that is associated with that. But when we're in pause mode, when we're in reflection mode, uh, there's a certain different language that's associated with that. And the fundamental difference is reflection mode embraces variability and action mode, you want to reduce variability. So I'm pretty excited about it. It's called Languages Leadership. And it comes out next February. Well, I'm going to link to it. Of all the people I've interviewed in the last eight years, you are m most masterful of using language well. And in addition to that, you've got a tremendous track record to back up how well that works. So can't wait to get into it. Before I let you go, I'm just curious, you've been traveling the world, speaking, working with organizations, consulting, talking about the book. As you've been doing that over the last few years, leaders are always learning. What have you changed your mind on? One is this idea that culture, culture is the reason why we're all screwed up. I, I, I guess to put it in a kind of a provocative way. I had this experience. I, my book came out in Chinese a couple of years ago and I went over there 
And I'm with some expat business meeting and I'm talking and they're saying, well, you know, Chinese, the culture here is do what you're told. Everyone keeps their head down. Your stuff will never work. And I said, well, look, I'm going to Tsinghua University this evening, give a talk to um, executive MBA program. I said, yeah, no one's going to ask you questions. They're just going to blah. They're just going to sit there and then they get up and leave. So I go there and I'm in this auditorium and there's packed with the students and there's little old me in the front and I have my first slide up and I have my, for some reason, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to just take a chance here. And I said, before I start talking, I just want to tell you guys something that I was told earlier today. I was told you guys won't interact. You won't ask me any questions and you just like to be told what to do. Take one minute, talk to your neighbor about that. And then we're going to, we're going to see if you have any comments on that. And then, and then we're going to go on with the program. Ready? Go. Even before I said go, the whole auditorium erupted with all this noise. I couldn't get them to be quiet. And I never flipped a slide. For the next hour and a half, all I heard over and over and over again was, no, what you're talking about is what humans want. They want something that matters in their lives. They want ability to control their lives. They want a better world for their family and their kids. And I called my, when I, when I was over, I called my wife. I said, I could have been in Kansas. It was unbelievable. It was a shocking moment to me. And I, and I think fundamentally, we all want the same things. We're so much more alike than everyone thinks. And to say, well, our culture can or whatever, those to me, I just see as excuses now for not giving your people, not trusting your people. David Marquet, author of Turn the Ship Around, A True Story of Turning Followers into Leaders. Captain, always a pleasure. Cheers. Thanks, everyone. Lots of related conversations. If you found David's message helpful today, one of them is episode 223, Start With Why with Simon Sinek. We talked about Simon's work in this conversation back on episode 223. Simon walked us through his powerful work for leaders on why we should start with why, that key question David talked about in his leadership of the crew on the Santa Fe and how critical that was to their success for those who want to dive in more on that episode 223 is a great place to start. Also, of course, recommended is episode 241, Turn Followers into Leaders with David Marquet. That was his first appearance on the show. Back then, we talked about a little more of the story behind the Santa Fe and his transition to captain and where he ran into some of the initial obstacles on the ship and also what he decided to do in some of those initial stages of his command and the language they used on board and how they tied language to outcomes. Some key, key things in that episode as well. It's a great starting point, especially if you found this conversation helpful and you haven't heard it before, episode 241. Also recommended the recent episode with Amy Edmondson, How to Build Psychological Safety, episode 404. Tons of tools there from Amy that match right along with much of what David talked about in his practical experience as a Navy captain. Uh, so many things there that you can latch onto and will help you to create a place where you are more comfortable, not only you, but the people around you are more comfortable speaking up, which is, of course, key to the work David's done as well. Again, that's episode 404, How to Build 
psychological safety from last time. And then finally, I'd recommend an episode that Bonnie has aired on her podcast called Teaching in Higher Ed. Many of you know that Bonnie has been doing tremendous work for many years on teaching faculty at universities how to become better teachers. And I don't normally recommend her episodes because the context is very different, but we mentioned the term retrieval practice in this conversation and how much of what David has done in helping people in the certification process on the submarine is actually so much aligned with some of the new thinking and research on how students learn in the classroom as well. For those who'd like to dive in more on that, I'd recommend Teaching in Higher Ed episode 94 on retrieval practice with her guest Pooja Agarwal and uh, so much there that uh, will motivate you to take the next step, especially if a big part of your responsibility is helping people to learn, which, you know, (laughs) is really a big part of all of our responsibilities as leaders, more and more so today than ever in our organizations. It's really not up to us as much anymore to be having all the answers. There's a time and a place for that, of course, but it's really to be asking the right questions. If we can do that, we are going to help people to develop into future leaders. All of those episodes you can find on the Coaching for Leaders website, except, of course, Bonnie's episode, which I will link to in this week's weekly leadership guide. And if you are not already receiving my weekly leadership guide every Wednesday with resources, other podcast episodes, videos, things in the popular media that will support your leadership development, I would encourage you to certainly set up your free membership on the coachingforleaders.com website. You'll get all of that, plus the notes and the links, and also my notes and highlights from every book that I uh, interview someone on. I've interviewed David now twice on Turn the Ship Around and have captured all of my highlights from the book and have made those available to you if you have a free membership on the website. But not only do you get access to this book, all the other books that uh, I've interviewed folks on in the last couple of years, all my highlights, you can dive in right away and hopefully dive into the book in detail, especially this one, because so much here that will be helpful to so many of you. You can access all of that, including my free audio course, 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead, just by activating your free membership on the coachingforleaders.com website. Just go over to coachingforleaders.com and set it up and you will be all set to go. Thank you so much. Hey, if this episode was helpful to you, pass it along to someone else who would benefit from this conversation. And a huge thank you as always to those of you who share this show regularly. There's no greater compliment to my work than the trust you put in me to be of influence to you and the others in your work life. Have a great week and see you next week for our next conversation. Take care.